We are so privileged to be joined this morning by Archbishop Joseph D'Souza. He's actually Archbishop of the Good Shepherd Church of India. Um, he's an activist for the rights of the poor, the marginalized, and the outcasts of South Asia. And in 2018, he was given the title of International President of the Dignity Freedom Network, formerly known as the Dalit Freedom Network, which I believe he also founded. Church we're not going to be the same again after hearing what Archbishop D'Souza brings to us this morning. I can assure you of that. So I would love us um, to pray um, as he joins us, um, to give him a great welcome. But then we're going to pray and we're going to pray for our hearts to be receptive to what he shares with us this morning. So welcome, Archbishop D'Souza. We are so blessed to have you with us. Could we pray for you? Would you like to stretch out your arms this morning? Lord, we thank you for this mighty man of God. We thank you that he is someone who, when faced with injustice, found a kingdom solution, who was willing to put his life and his comfort on the line to ensure that others could walk free into all that you have for them, life in all its fullness. We thank you, Lord, from that embryonic beginning that today there are churches all across India and further afield. We thank you that there are schools. We thank you, Lord, that there are people who have been lifted out of a life of poverty and slavery, oppression and marginalization and have found a place not only in your family, but a place in society where they are given and ascribed honor and dignity because they are a child made in your image. Lord, we pray today that where we are impoverished, here in our comfortable Western Christian bubble, Lord, where we actually are poor in spirit, that through this man, you would awaken our spirits to the things that truly matter. Lord, that we would be forever changed, that we would not just be hearers of your word this morning, but that we would be doers of your word as well. Holy Spirit, would you have your way in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Nikki. When you come and uh, greet me at the end of the meeting, please don't call me Archbishop, don't call me Bishop, just come and call me Joseph, okay? <laughs> I'm just like you. Uh, you know, uh, thank you, Peter. Uh, Pete, is it? Uh, Nikki and Andre and everybody else. Uh, who have allowed me to come here and be with you this Sunday. I'm very, very delighted to be here, uh, especially as I heard that you've been going through a series on uh, justice. Uh, I don't know what you're going to cover in uh, the series that's going to come called uh, the DNA. Some, you know, I saw something on the notice board. I'd love to know what you're going to cover. But I'm, I'm act, uh, uh, very delighted to be here. Uh, our churches are very similar to your churches, and we do the kind of worship that you do. There's a lot of move of the Holy Spirit in our churches. Um, I, want to, um, I want to read a verse for you, and I trust you will not forget this verse. Uh, it's, a, it's a simple verse taken from Romans, and um, I am uh, reading from... Um, 
uh, a translation that Tom Wright has done of the New Testament, New Testament for Everyone. Uh, and um, Paul is writing to the Romans, okay? And uh, the Roman church, Roman church in Rome at that time, very much like our churches, you know, instead of being worried about what the kingdom of God is, we are fighting about non-essentials. We are fighting about how we should do worship, how we should not do worship. Should women cover their hair? Should women lead the church? Oh, all kinds of issues. Is um, Brexit okay? Is Brexit not okay? Uh, you know, we are worried about a lot of things, which actually uh, is not what the kingdom of God is about. And so they were all fighting about food um, with blood and food sacrificed to idols and non-idols, etc. And so Paul writes to them and said, you guys, listen, 14, 17. God's kingdom, you see, isn't about food and drink and all these other matters. But it's about justice, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit. So here it is. Paul is basically expounding to us um, what the kingdom of God is. Now you're going to hear 40 minutes from me. Uh, it's going to be part of the journey that I've had, the story of my last 25 years. Um, uh, and one of the, I mean, I'll go back and forth, and you need to track with me, and if you're recording, you can go back and hear. But I was like every other evangelical, uh, primarily focused on one issue. This is 25 years ago. Uh, and it was about, and thinking, the gospel is all about getting people to heaven. That was where I was 25 years ago. I'm not there anymore. Um, and uh, I now write about it, and I challenge that view. Yes, the gospel does give us eternal life, but that's not what the New Testament and Scripture and the whole of Scripture is about. Uh, the gospel is the gospel of the kingdom of God, and in short, it is not about going up there, but it's telling us something from up there has come on earth. The kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God has come on earth. And Jesus introduced the kingdom of God on earth 2,000 years ago. Our problem is the church has had high and low times. We have forgotten that and we are not in the business of introducing, expanding, growing this kingdom of God here on earth. And as Nikki prayed, the Christian church is caught in a bubble of their own. We have become very introverted. There is a study going on now in India, and they wrote to me, and they said, please ask your pastors to fill up. Um, we want to do a survey. And I just wrote back to the organizer, and I say. 
There's no point in doing a survey of the, most of the churches in India because I know exactly what the answers are going to be. And the answers, unfortunately, are going to be the answers from a Christian bubble because uh, the church in India, a large section of the church in India, is not connected to the non-Christian world, is not connected to issues where society is hurting. Most Christians have very few non-Christian friends. Very few Christians have any Muslim friends. Very, very few have friends who are prostitutes, trafficked people. We're totally disconnected. And so you're going to do a survey for what? To come back to the same conclusions you all came back 20 years ago and not knowing what God is doing in India and what God has been doing in India for the past 25, 30 years. I said, this thing is not going to anywhere. So they immediately wrote me, Bishop, thank you very much for this uh, feedback and all. We, we are going to go back and figure out how, how to do it. I said, look, in, if India was different 25 years ago, it's very different now. We are the 10th, according to Open Doors, the 10th most persecuted place on earth for Christians. That's our reality. And then, India has been caught up in one of the greatest issues in human civilization of human slavery through the caste system. And through the caste system, we ensured 25% of our population, who were called the Dalits or the untouchables and the tribals, we, made, we ensured that they did not have any spiritual rights, no spiritual rights. Understand this. Now, those, I see a number of black people here. Great to see you. I like this heterocultural church. Uh, I don't like monocultural churches, so you need to know where I stand. I want an intercaste church in India, not church of just the upper castes and no Dalits allowed. You know, one of the sad things about Indian Christianity is we brought caste into the church just as the Westerners brought racism in the church. And in South India, we have evangelical churches, even Pentecostal churches, who have two communions, two communion cups. And they will not allow the Dalit cup to touch their lips because they will get polluted. This is in the church. And that's, that's what we've been dealing with for 2,000 years. They are sinners from a past life. They are under punishment. They have no spiritual rights. They didn't have any economic rights anything till India became independent and a great man arose from among them who fought for them, who got involved in writing our constitution. So they have been under oppression and slavery. Their children have been under slavery. You hear about India being one of the major centers of child labor in the world. True. A majority of those children are from the outcasts and from the Dalits. You also have heard that uh, India is the center more than 50% of all traffic, trafficking problems and of children and girls and women goes on in India. Absolutely true. Majority of them are also Dalits. Okay? And tribals uh, uh, who, who are sold and I'll, I'll tell them, I'll tell you about that. So, this problem has been going on. I was in my bubble and cocoon as the leader of OM in India 25 years ago, I was a pastor, 
but I was leading an evangelistic organization, and God, the Holy Spirit, had not confronted me with the kingdom of God, and what on earth are you doing? And here I am like a normal preacher, right? Everybody is saying India is the graveyard of missions for 200 years. And you, like you, or some of you, or people in UK are saying, uh, why are people not coming to know Jesus in UK? Uh, is, uh, is it because God he doesn't want to do? Is God not answering prayer? Or is it because we are the problem? And we are the ones who are not demonstrating the gospel of the kingdom of God. So I had this confrontation when I met the Dalit leaders. Uh, they invited me and my colleagues. And they then told us about their story. And then they said, we want freedom. We want justice. We want to get out of this oppressive system. And uh, as we have read, read all of the stuff, we can see that the one that can bring us justice is Jesus Christ, not the church in India. Very clear, there was a clear distinction because there is caste in the church. And they said, if our, purple, our people turn to you for freedom, for justice, for empowerment, uh, will you, as a church and as a Christian community, respond and... Uh, fight with them and join hands with them in their struggle for freedom and justice. Now, when the leadership of 250 million people is sitting in front of you and asking you that question, what do you say? Will you join hands with us? What would Jesus have said? Right? In his first message itself in the synagogue, at Nazareth, he said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Why? To preach good news to the poor, the good news of the kingdom of God, by the way, not our truncated version of the gospel. The good news of the kingdom of God, Spirit of the Lord, I'm filled. I've got a over, you know, double, triple, beyond measure filling of the Holy Spirit. And so I got good news of the kingdom of God. But I got deliverance from the oppressed. I'm here to set the captives free. I'm here to give the blind eyes. I'm going to do healing, physical healing, because people are not just disembodied souls. We are bodies too. When we get resurrected, we are not going to be spirits flitting around, okay? We're going to be real human beings with re resurrected bodies. I'm looking forward to that day. You know, I got grandchildren and I tell them the stories, and they're always asking me, you know, what's, what is like kingdom of God when it fully... Uh, am I going to be able to go to uh, Jupiter? One of my grandsons wants to go to, the Ju wants to go to Jupiter. I said, of course. And how am I going? I said, you just have to think I want to go there, and you'll be there. Mind travel. But, you know, it's, it's a great kingdom that's coming, but our bodies will be completely restored. There will be nobody with cancer. There will be nobody with handicap, mental, physical, anything. 
we will be all we are supposed to be and God wanted us to be to glorify His name. So that's, that's the kingdom. So here are people are asking, this is what's promised in the Bible. Can you, can you uh, do this for us? Hear me correctly. Can you do this for us? Not, can you come and teach us about this? They are reading the New Testament. They have read, seen the Indian Jesus movie. They want a demonstration of what they are seeing in the gospel of the kingdom of God. They read, hey, Jesus uh, goes and touches or talks and mixes with a Samaritan woman. And in their eyes, the Samaritan woman is a untouchable Dalit. Oh, and he's talking to a woman. Not done by rabbis in that day. And the disciples are concerned that this man is sitting alone with a woman. We are Samaritans. So these are Dalit women. Jesus is reaching out to us. Are you willing to reach out to us? So men and women leaders are asking us this fundamental question. And, um, and so we are, I'm thinking and etc. And I can tell you in the early days for a couple of years, I was confused. I, I, I thought Jesus had called me to do what I understood, preach the gospel. And I said, what Lord, what are you doing with my life? Thank you for that prophetic prayer. I just said to, that, to our sister, there she is, that it's in line with what I've been praying for, and it's a confirmation uh, from the Holy Spirit for me that I'm praying the right kind of prayers. And then you, by the end, you'll realize why I say this, because we are in an incredible situation with the movement in India. So anyway, I'm sitting there. So there's no way we can say we're not going to do it. They're saying, come and do it in Jesus' name. They're not asking me to come and do it as an atheist. They're asking me to come and do it as a Jesus witness. But without any agenda, without any condition, unconditional love, and even without an agenda, which has become so controversial in India, and I completely understand, of converting them. And I've written quite a bit of the bit of uh, stuff on this. Again, I believe you've got that whole thing upside down. Um, yeah. Many of us here are parents. We all want our children to follow Jesus as they grow up, right? How many of you love your children with a conversion agenda? None of you. Whether your child follows the faith, grows into the faith, turns away from the faith, you, if you're a real Christian, you're always going to love your child. Yes? No? You're always going to love your child. So we have to look. Okay. So they're saying all of this. And uh, I read the story of the Samaritan, good Samaritan. They tell me the story. And the Samaritan helps. And he has, he's doing, and Jesus is saying, this is God-like love. But there is no conversion agenda attached to his love. A lot of the reason why we have lost our next generation, and, I'm side, and I go on the sidetracks, millennial or whatever you call, is because our millennial generation does not see us doing unconditional love. It's all based on a certain set, 
you fit here, you, you, know, you fall into our rules, then you're okay. And if you don't, uh, Jesus' love is not available for you. This unconditional, all-embracing love. So the Dalits are saying this. So, so I call for a meeting. Hundreds of them come. I call a lot of the church leaders. It's a controversial thing. And I have been attacked, continue to be attacked because of my engagement with the non-Christian world and what we have become as a church movement. I'm not worried if, if they could attack Jesus, if they could attack Paul. I mean, which man of God has not been attacked when he's moving, you know, and, and, and the kind of church we are. I'm not worried. As long as I know in my heart I'm doing what God wants me to do, I'm going to do it. Um, often some of the most severe critics of what you do if you get involved in the justice movement are going to be Christians, are going to be Christians. I, I follow politics and I write a lot for the American press. Look at how American evangelists, evangel I can't understand them. There are a lot of my, my friends and supporters. They don't even like the word social justice. They think it is communist. And I think, oh, isn't that word in the Bible? And you know, about seven, eight years ago, I just finished my term. I was on the global board of the new international Bible. Most of you probably are using that. And we, I challenged and we did a justice Bible with notes and looked at every book of the Bible, every verse which connects to justice. It's available. It's expensive. But if you're looking to study the theme of justice, those guys who, who are attacking and saying we are far away from the... One guy says we are all a cult who are doing justice. And I'm scratching my head and I'm saying, man, he's in America. That's why he can say that. I would love for him to be in India. And then come and see what life is like. Where you are a minority faith and you have to win credibility People have to see Jesus in you before they will hear about Jesus. Uh, and, and, and then you ignore vast sections of the Bible. So I meet and the Dalit leaders, I say, okay, what do you want us to do? Um, and they say, very simply, we want you to free our children and make leaders for the next generation. Boys and girls. I said, what? Yes. We want you to do through education and centers. We will invite you into, into our communities. It's not going to be the old mission where you missionaries start schools wherever they want. No. We'll tell you where to come. And so there on the map, you'll see where all our schools are located and centers. We want you to come. And we'll give you our children. And they said, we want a different worldview. We want you to demonstrate to them that they are really made in the image of God. They are not created in a hierarchy of purity and impurity as they have been taught. They are not lesser human beings. The, their life is not less than the value of a cow. That's why the lynching goes on because people are thinking human, Dalits and humans are of less value than a cow. That's where they have been living. So we want you to love them and treat them that there is a God who has, is not punishing them, but has created them male and female in his own image. Not just the male. Male and female in his own image. And then you empower them, then you love them, 
You can bring, all, according to demographic, all of the other castes and all, but when you feed them, let them be able to eat with everybody else. They are not polluted. There should be only one cup for everybody. Means one kind of, there's no such thing that they are so sinful human beings that their shadow cannot fall on you, otherwise you will get polluted. All right? So we are listening to this, and I'm listening to this, and I, I'm saying, why? How was this hit from me? And you look at UK, okay, and your culture. There are things that are going on in society which somehow the church puts blinkers on and does not see what on earth is going on. We're quite happy because you're in a free democracy and you, you have your freedom, so you're not worried about what's going out there, what's, you know, what's happening out there. So I, so I hear this, I said, okay, what's next? They say, free our women. And for me, that was a little bit jarring. I always believed in the equality. He says, why? I said, why? They said, look, uh, the woman is a tw uh, twice oppressed in our society. She is oppressed as a Dalit, and she's oppressed because she's a woman, and women across any caste are less than human, uh, full human beings. Oh, and don't you know that two out of three of our women are raped and abused? What are you going to do about them? Do you have the courage to stand up, fight for them, march with them, love them, take care of them? And so I said, okay, next. Is there anything else? Yes. You need to become our voice. You need to speak out. Now, just telling, somebody was asking me, how you know the change of name? I, I took that one off. Twenty-five years ago, the world didn't know about the Dalit issue. We mobilized and we spoke in parliaments, UN, wrote. Um, uh, by the way, there's a book here for those who want to f know what the story is. I, um, uh, uh, take it as a gift. Give us your name and address so that. We can send you prayer requests. If you want to give a donation, you can. But this book tells the first stages of our movement. I'm now 25 years later, okay? This is in the first decade of what God uh, led us into. So I said, okay, we'll become your voice. We'll write this. I'll write. And uh, it's very interesting. When, I, when we said yes, one of their main leaders was walking with me in New Delhi. He's a politician. Uh, and he says to me, so far Christians have loved us. We have seen missionaries love us and all. And we're very grateful to God for that. But the first time I realized that there are a group of Christians who are willing to die for us. I said, what do you mean? He says, the moment you get involved in a justice issue with us and raise your voice and expose an evil that's going on, they're going to kill you as much as they're going to kill us. They're not going to leave your love. They don't mind some compassionate work as long as you don't focus on the evil that's going on in society because now you're threatening structures. You're threatening power. You're threatening their exploitation. Now, he says, we believe there are Indian Christians who genuinely care for us 
and we believe in this Jesus that you follow. There's a few years down the line. So they say all of this, and, uh, and, uh, and then they very clearly tell, you don't have to compromise on being Jesus followers. Our we want our people to know that it is Jesus followers who are doing this. You don't have to hide your identity. You know, and, and you need to wear the symbols that represent Christianity. Here in the UK, now you're working with British heavens, you can't wear the hijab, now can you wear the cross? Right? Some, some thing was going on. Hey, why shouldn't any religious person wear any identity about who they are? What kind of secularism is this? Hey, are you saying secularism is the only good religion in the world and everything else is no good? So they're saying, we want them to know that it's Jesus Christ's people who are doing this. So then they ask us to uh, make commitments. And uh, we said, what, what do you want? He said, in the next 10 years, 15 years, we want you to start 100 centers in the nation for us. I'll tell you, did you understand that? Our budget probably during that time and all this happened it was as small as your church budget. And somebody's saying, we want a hundred centers in the nation. And, uh, and then we make the calculation and then, I, then you're saying, you're saying we should have 50,000 children eventually in our, yeah, yeah, 50,000 children being freed and educated and empowered and released in the uh, Indian market with a worldview that they are sons and daughters of God. And uh, I am a very, how, how should I say this? I am naive, which is good actually, when it comes to issues of faith, and I say yes. <laughs> and I don't even know how we're going to do it. How are we going to do it? We've never done it before. And the headaches and the challenges, and now I look back and I think, oh my goodness, what on earth have we begun in India? Because we did the 100 centers. Across India now, we have 26,000 children. And we have been graduating them. We have been graduating them for the last seven, eight years. Some schools have only five classrooms. We have to build 10. Ultimately, we need 20. But we have 100 properties. We are across the nation. All of the Dalits have come to know about this. And the next group, who are the out, uh, backward caste, 500 million of them have come to know about this. And their children are coming out. And they are doing extraordinary stuff. Here's one example. A whole family with all, I mean, I don't know how many in their family have, have come into our schools. So this is um, a real story of Pranita. She came in when she was so small. She, she came into our school, she graduated, came top of the class, went to junior college where she had to face discrimination, but we already had given her the moral fiber, the worldview, the self-worth that she is created in the image of God, and she was able to fight to that. Then she got admission for a doctoral study in pharmacy, 
we were amazed, my goodness, how is, she asked for some help, we gave that, four, five years down the line, she finished, she became a doctor in pharmacology, then she said, I want to come and work with you for two years, so she came and worked with us in our health initiative, which is all led by women and the anti-trafficking unit, so she worked with that for, uh, for two years, and now she's gone for a year plus study because she says, I want to change the health structure of the government of India. I want to go into high health government. Now here is the thing, here is the thing. So some years ago, we took her out to US and Canada to interview, uh, to present her to the churches and people who have been supporting us. And I was there in one a couple of meetings, other ladies were doing. So one meeting in a mega church of four, 5,000 people, I'm interviewing her. So I'm asking her, I said, Pranita, I was told by the Dalit leaders and your leaders, she's a Dalit girl, that you know, by the time you're eight, nine, 12, 13, it is all over because your parents tell you you're less human being than everybody else. Society teaches you in the classroom, you're treated like an untouchable. So I want to know, what do you think in your head? Because that's what the Dalit leader said. We don't want any Dalits to think. You know, slavery is in the mind. So we want you to deal with it. How, how do you... Uh, so I said, what do you think in your head? Do you think you're less than anybody here? All these white people here? She said, no, I'm not less than anybody here. Do you think you're less than any Brahmin in India? No. What, what do you think in your head? She so said, sir, you know, I think I am a daughter of the king, Jesus. I don't think I'm less. So she can compete and she's, she's going forward. And it's been a journey for me because I never realized that when you have a kingdom worldview, a kingdom value system of human beings, how much impact it has, not on the, just the one person you are taking care of, on their families, on their communities, and across. Suddenly, it's as if a huge light has broken down from heaven, and they say, this is not about a religion. This is not about a church. This is the kingdom of God. I want to be part of this. I want to be part of this. So, we got involved in that. And then, of course, um, pray for us. I'd love for your church to be part of this movement in India in whatever way you can. Get involved in partnering and supporting a class as a church. You can do things individually or a couple of classrooms or whatever. Come and see. Come and see. You see, unless you come and see, you, you're wonderful and this church is wonderful. But you're going to be limited because reality is about experience, right? Yes or no? We all believe in the Holy Spirit, prophesy, speak in tongues and all of this. Why? Because somebody told us and it's in our head or because we experienced it? Can you answer me? We experienced it. We got to experience and see. 
So when you come and see, you say, wow, is this, if this is possible in India, what can we do back here in the UK? What can we do back at home with all of the challenges that we, uh, the British society faces? So uh, come and see, because the second thing was free or women. I never knew I would become an advocate for uh, women's issues. Uh, that I would have so many feminist, non-Christian friends. Never thought my world would ever intersect with them. They know, uh, you know, I, I work under the Bible, but I believe that women can lead in the church up to any point. And they're thinking, wow, what kind of a bishop are you? You're not supposed to uh, uh, talk about this. You ordain women? Yes, we ordain. And they say, why? I said, because the Dalit women said to us, we want all of the spiritual rights the Holy Spirit gives to Christians to be given to us in your church. All of the spiritual gifts that the Holy Spirit gives, is it only for men or some are limited, some are kept away from women? I said, no, 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 no. You can have all the gifts. And if you... Because you've been denied the right of entry into the temple, and this is the critical one, they have been denied right into all the first-class temples because they're so impure. If they enter the temple, they make the temple impure, unholy. So for a lot of these women and men, the right to priesthood, the right to open Bible is like becoming godlike. So they're saying, can we preach from the Bible? Can we touch the Bible? Of course. So we are distributing and trying to raise money to, in our church movement alone, give 100,000 Bibles a year to people. For you, the Bible doesn't mean anything because you've had it all of your life. For those who could not even have their own scriptures and told, if you hear the scriptures, their own scriptures, 60, 70 years ago, they would boil oil and put it in your ear and make you deaf. Because you have polluted the scriptures by hearing it. Now, we are saying, you handle the scriptures, come up in front, be a pastor, teach. Teach. 60% of all the people that have come to Christ through our movement are women. 60% and more. It's a women's movement. Am I not glad I obeyed Jesus 25 years ago and said, okay, because when they come to Christ, the family comes to Christ. In India, women are the custodians of all the faith. It's true most places in the world. At home, culture, the women are the custodians. So, free. So, uh, as of now, a quarter of a million women, quarter of a million women have been impacted, empowered, and freed by our movement in 25 years. Quarter of a million. And we are doing one of the... Uh, I've got a bunch of leaders, next generation, not my generation, and women. They came to me 10, 12 years ago, and they said, this issue of women trafficking, we'll do all of the stuff you're doing, uh, vocational training, empowerment, and all. But we want to take the largest single issue of sex trafficking, uh, sex exploitation, and um, we want to take it and address. And I'm asking them, are you sure you want to do this? They're saying, yes. 
You see, in India, across a long belt from uh, East India to West India, we have what is called temple prostitution. Uh, some places it's called Jogini, some places it's called something. So what, what's done is, in every village, a Dalit family is required to offer a girl child pre-puberty to the temple priest, even though it's legally banned, to become a slave of God. So the, there is a huge ceremony. We have videos and everything about it. So they take that girl and they dedicate that girl to the local goddess. And then in an act of purification and whatever they do, the temple priest is the first one to rape her. He rapes her. Then she gets tattoos and beads and sent back into the village house where now everybody calls her a slave of God, but actually she's a prostitute. Forced sexual prostitute. She gets a cut prize uh, money from there. The mafia gets, the sex mafia gets, because some of them get taken to Mumbai everywhere. And then some goes to the temple. So we heard about this, this women, our women heard about this horrible situation and said, we want to do something. So I'm thinking they're going to do rescue and uh, all of the stuff that trafficking. They said, no, we're not doing that, that model. I said, what are you doing? We are going to go among them. We are going to, going to go to their villages. We're going to make friendships with the temple prostitutes. We're going to network with them. We're going to make friends with them. We're going to empower with them. And we're going to find out whether they want to get out of the system. And if they want to get out of the system, we're going to work with them and join hands with them. So, wow. So they began this project. In the place that we live, there are 100,000 temple prostitutes of various ages affecting two and a half million people in families. And many girls are highly vulnerable. Anyway, they began the project. The women are smarter than men, okay? Because who would have thought that you go and first meet and talk and network? So they went to about 5,000 or 7,000 women. Then they chose 100, 140 of them, among them as leaders. There's still, still a lot of them sex, uh, Jogini sex temple prostitutes. That's the only way they can make a living. And they began talking to them. Then they found leaders among them. Then a few who had already got out among them and started creating a network and a strategy to turn the, to break the system from inside out. Long term. No more offering. And what do we do with the women? How do we economically empower them? Tell them their rights. Boys and girls in that area, especially their girls, give them, take them into your schools. We have 15 schools now there. They want more. It's incredible. We said, okay, bring buses and all. So they began this, uh, this thing, uh, this huge uh, initiative with non-Christians. That's what I'm saying. How many non-Christian friends do you have, right? Uh, 
So first time they called these 140, 150 leaders into our church. Uh, they said we, we want to bring them on a weekend. There's going to be a conference and all. And some of them are alcoholics because that's the way they cope. And uh, anyway, it's really out of the box Christianity. Holy Spirit Christianity. I said, fine. We want to bring them on Easter Sunday to the church. So then I'm getting up two Sundays before and telling my congregation, on Easter Sunday, there are going to be about 200 plus Jogini women. Don't be scared. For you, many of you in the church, it will be first time you're sitting next to a prostitute. But this is Jesus' church. They will come. Let them come. Our women want them to see what we are. Don't sit in a huddle. Mix. Let them join each other. And please, for God's sake, don't give them the four spiritual laws. Understand what I said? Some of you know what it is. Don't ask them whether they want to go to heaven. Because right now they are on hell, in hell. First find out how to get them out of their present hell. Don't, don't do this stupid stuff. So I, a preacher of the gospel, I'm banning some stuff. What I want you to do is to love them, touch them, embrace them. And when we go for lunch or breakfast, Easter breakfast, go with them. Eat breakfast with them. Show them this is what Jesus is. And we love them. Extraordinary stuff. They have been coming every Easter. I've got to know many of them. They, they, some of them come to my office. They come and hug me and they want me to pray for them, etc. But one of those Easter Sundays, it was, it was amazing. A few of them now have come to Christ. The others are fighting. Uh, in the last um, two years, they prevented, listen to this, we didn't. They prevented the offering of close to 2,000 new girls as temple prostitutes. They prevented. They prevent. They know it's wrong. And they're telling them, this is not. And our people are working with the government. The government is happy with us. The local officers are happy with us. They're getting on local TV. One day I saw, I was watching the local TV in the local language, and I'm seeing 20 of my uh, Jogini leaders on television telling, you know, this group in India, we are known as OMIF. We are OMIF volunteers. They came, and we're going to bring this down, and this is what we have done. This is what we have prevented. And they're telling our story, and everybody, the non-Christian world is listening to it. Millions of people are listening in their own language. And so they're doing all of this stuff. But on this Easter Sunday, we, are, we have an offering. And most of them don't know the Lord. That's, that's okay. We love them. But about maybe a dozen have come to know Jesus out of their own and they know the Holy Spirit and all. When the offering time comes in, I we take our offering differently. Everybody has to walk up in front or sideways and they put the money. And I watch these six, seven women come and put their offering in. 
little rupees folded. And you did your offering, you never even thought it is worship. They came, and even my church people never think, they knelt down before the box. There's a cross on top of the box. They kissed the box, and then they put their money in. I wept. I wept. Following Sunday, I said, last week's offering of that seven, those seven women was more than the offering we have been giving through the whole year. But it has come from women who have escaped a kind of bondage that you and I cannot talk about. And I said, the kingdom of God is about working for justice. It can be only done through the Holy Spirit. That's why Paul said, justice, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Humanly impossible to even think, how are we, how our women are now believing that in the next 10, 15 years, or 20 years, whatever years, but they are believing, and I believe it's going to happen, they are going to collapse this system that's going on for hundreds of years, and no more Dalit girls will be hovered as temple prostitutes. And if you want to see it, you can talk to my long, tall friend, Bob. They produced, produced a prospectus called Dare to Dream, whereby they want first to empower all of the 70, 75,000 or whatever it is, imp impact all of the two and a half, three million people, work with the government, and to show to the world, you can break trafficking by ending the supply. Not by only rescuing, because the day you rescue, next day there's somebody else there. So you've got to go and say, okay, what is the problem? What's the problem? And it's a long-haul thing, justice struggle. You please do not do justice work as a short-term missionary trip. It's a long haul. All of my women, I'll tell you, and one of them is my daughter, they are at risk of their lives. They've taken on the local priest, they've taken on the mafia, all kind of, anybody can knock them off. Because you're fighting evil forces. Money. You're getting to the power structures. And so, it's a long long-term thing, but as we do it, this is very important to me. These folk and folk across India are beginning to see my God as He is. I am guilty like so many of you of hiding from the world that my God is a God of justice. And said, so they look, I was telling, we are now, it started with the Dalits, now we are among Muslim women, we are among all kinds of women, and I write on women's issues, and the women are just saying, we didn't know there is a God who cares for women, because most religions give 
second place to women, including the Christianity that they know. You see this? And so saying, this is, this is what we want. I'll tell you another story and then pray for response. Uh, we have a girl who, um, we, okay, as we've been doing these Jogini things, these women came and said, look, we got some highly vulnerable girls. Their parents, their grandmothers, mothers are all Joginis. And if you don't rescue them, they will be become, they'll become a Jogini. So can you open up a shelter for them? Take them. They're still with their, you know, their parents, but you open up a shelter with them. We want you to love them, take care of them, let them go to their school, holiday time, but protect them. But can you intervene before they get offered? So we did it. I think we have got uh, 60 girls from this age now to grown-up ages. Every Sunday they are in our church. I call them angels. And it's a fantastic... Now they're building a massive new shelter for 150 of them because the demand is more. And that shelter looks and feels better than most of our houses. So we're not building second-class shelters for third-class people. We're building first-class shelters for first-class people. Okay? And, and when you come, you'll see it. I mean, just looking at the planner, we've taken our women. And this is because it's being driven by women, not by us. We don't understand all of this stuff. But I have to tell you about Manjula. Manjula came in when she was, whatever, 11, 12 age. And she came in when her mother, who was a child of a Jogini, and had gone through sexual slavery, set herself on fire and burnt herself to death. She saw her mother immolate herself. The Jogini women came and said, there's a girl, you got to take her. So we take her. Grandmother, mother, she was about also to become a Jogini, a temple prostitute. We take her, she gets into our school, she gets educated, she finishes her 10th exam, graduates. We ask her, what do you want to do? She said, I want to become a teacher. So we gave her another two years of training, she becomes a teacher. Then we say, what do you want to do? Can I go and work among the women of North India? She's in South India. We say, fine, go, and she, she goes. Uh, to North India and works. We got a great video on her. If some of you want to see, you can see her video. Again, ask Big Bob to get you a copy of the video. The women especially are interested. And uh, she comes back and she says, I want to go for further studies. I want to get a Bachelor of Education. She's, in, she, she's following Jesus, worshipping Jesus. Nobody tried to tell her you need to believe in Jesus because she met Jesus in all of this stuff. And now, some of our partners and churches who have met them are saying, we want Manjula to come to America. We want to interview her in front of our people for her to tell the story of redemption 
through intervention and prevention, not rescue. So I hear all of this. And now I hear she's going to Australia. She's going to Canada. She's going to the US. She just got an Australian visa. And I'm thinking, wow, what on earth is happening with our women's movement? It's not too far when some of our Jogani women, girls, will become national figures and national stars. It's not too far. A final comment about justice and I close. You may have never thought about this, but think about this. We always think that our salvation happened because of the love of God. Absolutely true. But that's not the full truth. Our salvation also happened because of the justice of God. God was not willing because we failed once to leave us to our fate and go to an eternal future without him, without saying, no, they failed, but I am going to do an act of justice and rescue them. Think about that. We have not been adequately taught that our salvation was God saying, no, these are human beings I created in my own image. There's love side, but I'm not going to allow the devil to keep them as his eternal slaves. It's an anti-slavery salvation that you and I have experienced. The justice of God. That's why we need to unpack it, apply it, experience it, and grow with it. Now, before I finish, I think it's all there, the cups. This is the Dalit cup, okay? Which Dalit was supposed to drink and break because if an upper caste drinks from it, he gets polluted. So we made this our global symbol of redemption. We are saying, no, this cup, if it represents the Dalit, represents a human created in the image of God for whom Jesus died. And the same Holy Spirit who is within me is within the Dalit and the low caste. And we are now going to break this cup, but we're going to take this cup, take it home, give our name and address to the DFN folk, and we're going to pray as long as it takes, 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, till every Dalit is freed. So I don't want you to go. We give this free. Take a cup, sign up, give your name and address, and you know, decide, I'm going to pray. And it's a great thing you can do as a family, where you have a dinner or something. In fact, I know churches who on certain Sundays give a communion to the cups, because it just reminds the whole church that there is a modern slavery problem far worse than the slave trade or anything that's going on in our world. I've already told you about a book. If you want to, I would prefer a church response. That's what I like because I'm a church man. Uh, but if there are individuals, oh, I want to get involved uh, personally in freeing a Jogani girl in one of the schools. I want to have adopt and free 
give your name and address, and Bob will get you a profile of a Jogini girl. Uh, only about 30 or 40% of the girls have a sponsor. So you can come and fill in and say, okay, we will join in and we will do this. And there is a lot of other leaflets. Uh, please go uh, and get it. And, and I pray, as I close this, that you'll be as encouraged as I am, as you can see this morning. Persecution, yes. Killing, yes. Freedoms are going. So what? So what? The kingdom of God did not start as a power structure. The kingdom of God started because of the Holy Spirit. And you know, I didn't have time to bless you and to tell you the kingdom of God is about justice, yes, but it's also about peace. Wherever the Holy Spirit is, and if you say, I'm a, we are a Holy Spirit church, I will look for marks about what are you doing on justice. And if you say, I'm a Holy Spirit church, I'm going to look and say, what are you doing about peace? Peace in your midst, bringing peace in the world. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. In a divided world that's killing and butchering each other, on, you know, going and shooting and all kind of madness, who's reaching out to whom? And then the third and most wonderful thing, it's about joy, happiness. How can you be unhappy and say you have, a, you have the Holy Spirit? Where the Holy Spirit is, in the midst of suffering and trial, deep down, there is the God happiness flowing. And Paul is saying, you, church, are really lost it. Instead of being filled with happiness and peace and being concerned about justice, you're fighting about what kind of clothes we should wear. I'm very happy all, so many of you have come in shorts. I, f I feel home. You know? The kingdom of God is not about external stuff. It is about the real stuff. And I pray, and as I finish, I would be more than happy to pray for anybody who wants and feels the need for an anointing of the Holy Spirit, an empowerment of the Holy Spirit to do justice in and through your life and uh, happiness. May God bless you. Pete, thank you very much. I don't know what, what the next part of the session is. Just stay standing for a moment, those of us who are standing. There's a few things, aren't there, that really hit home. The first is there are going to be things birthed in and through us as a church family when it comes to the area of justice. There are things that we're already doing, but we have a really strong sense as a leadership team that this isn't a series. It's not a teaching series. It's not, oh, gosh, you know, we felt really challenged, and now what? There's stuff that God wants to birth in and through our lives. But the other thing is that every Sunday as we hear another pressing issue across our world, people come and say, 
the church should do this, the church should do that. And my response to you is this, you are the church. You are the church. There will be things, you have our word, that we will do corporately. We are prayerfully seeking God as to what are our things to champion. And without a shadow of a doubt, there will be things that we will be doing when it comes to Dignity Freedom Network. You have our word on that. But don't leave this building today thinking that the church are going to do something for the women that you've just heard about, for the Dalit people that you've just heard about, for the justice issues that this network are pioneering. This is down to you and I to choose what our response will be. And my hope and prayer would be that every single cup on that table is gone by the end of this morning and that as many people as possible sign up to partner financially with this organization above and beyond anything that we do corporately as a church that you and I don't walk out of this place going that's great the church have got it covered because that's your and my responsibility so could we just lift our hands and respond to Jesus this morning Lord once again we hear your anthem for the poor and broken. We hear the cry unspoken of our generation. And today, Lord, we want to give thanks for the work of the Dignity Freedom Network. We thank you, Lord, for the bravery and for the courage, for the pioneering, for the willingness to pick up the cross and follow that mandate that you've given them, no matter whether it risks death, no matter whether it risks ostracization from the rest of the Christian community, we thank you that these people have been brave enough to say yes to you and that as a result, hundreds of thousands, if not millions of lives have been impacted and we know that that will ripple into generation upon generation as these children take their place as future leaders. Lord, as many of them are already stepping into that. Father, today we are open to you as to what our response should be about what we've heard. But actually, Lord, we want you to give us eyes to see our community and our nation with a fresh lens. Lord, would we just break out of that Christian bubble in which it's so easy to stay? Would you forgive us, Lord, for the way we casually treat our Bible when there are people who are not even allowed to read it because they're not considered to be worthy? Lord, and we've got 10 or more translations sitting on our shelves gathering dust and we just, what, can't find the time? Lord, forgive us, forgive us. But I pray, Lord, more than that, you would now mobilize us to be your hands, your feet, your mouthpiece, that you would show us what our individual response could and should be in Jesus' name. And I just wonder, Joseph, whether you would mind praying over us as a people. Thank you. And for all who just feel that sense to, to respond. Yes. Raise your hands as you feel uh, you need. Holy Spirit, thank you for being with us this morning. We have a sense that you're here. It's not a make-believe. And we know, Jesus, you are here. And what we have spoken is on your heart for this world right now. With such a hurting, broken, divided, hate-filled world. And Jesus, I pray for each one here today. Each one here also has needs. But they need to see some victories. 
I pray in Jesus' name for a miraculous delivering answer to prayer this morning. In needs that are expressed here, Lord, whether of healing, whether of relationships, whether of perplexity in life, financial crisis, whatever, Lord, emotional loneliness, Holy Spirit, come down, come in. We invite you to come in. And those of us you've called, you've called all of us, but there are those who are called to do major specific things in the kingdom in relationship to justice and peace and bringing happiness here. I pray you empower them, Lord. Holy Spirit, come upon us, come upon them. Fill them with your Holy Spirit, Lord. Fill them with your Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, come. We receive you as we received you the first time in faith. And we're always hungry and always want more and know we will need more of you. So fill each one, Lord, this morning with yourself. And where there is no courage, give courage. Where there is no faith, give faith, Lord. Where there are blockages and obstacles, destroy them, Lord. And God, we are in a place both here in, the, in Britain and there in India where we need a mighty flow of your Holy Spirit. More than anything we have ever seen in the history of the church. And we receive it, we claim it, and we know it starts with each one of us. And I pray once again that you will do this for the glory of the name of your Son. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And all of us, God's people in faith said, Amen. 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 God bless you.